Your stories don't define you. How you tell them will. Hi, I'm Sarah Elkins, your host and chief storymaker of Elkins Consulting. Many of my clients reach out to me because they're in transition. Their children are hitting milestone ages. They want more from their work. They're hitting a big number birthday. And they want to develop clarity about their natural strengths, what their next adventure might look like. In this series, you'll hear me ask my guests questions to dig deeply into the stories that shaped their lives, stories that uncover patterns and may unveil insights into dissatisfaction and also where their strengths lie and where they found and continue to find joy. This podcast's intention is to have listeners think of their own related stories and how they tell them, discovering the internal messages that are limiting their success and discovering how to shift their stories so they become positive life lessons to move them forward. If you're curious about what it would be like to work with me, visit elkinsconsulting.com and schedule a one-time 90-minute StrengthsFinder session. Well, you, my audience, are in for a treat for this 199th episode of Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will, featuring my friend Scott Ferguson, who loves to end his his comments and uh, messages to me, love your guts. So how can you not love a guy like that? Um, dear friend, mutual friend, Meg Nostro introduced us and it has been kind of a all in ever yeah. since then. So Scott, welcome to the show. How are you? I do. I love your guts. I love, I love, love, love. And it's not, it's a genuine love. It's not one of those fabricated things. It's just something that I instilled through one of my stories um, through the years, and it just uh, helps level up every part. Well, so thank I'm, you for having me. Absolutely. I'm not surprised at all by that. <laughs> and um, I'm a big believer in love. Um, I think that, and I've said this many times, love is easy. Like is hard. True. It's true. Very true. <laughs> I can love anyone. Liking them is a whole other right. story. <laughs> uh, that's a, that, I'm going to have to write that one down. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So um, I love to start the recording by asking my guests to share something about themselves that most people might not know about you. Maybe Uh, something from your uh youth that um, people aren't familiar. It's not in your bio. What do you think? (laughs) What do you have to share with us? I just found out like four months ago through this whole 23andMe thing that I, you know, I knew I was adopted. I knew I was born in the Philippines, but you know, they told me my father was an American GI who got killed in Vietnam. And then my mother put me up for adoption. And that's a whole story of mine. But come to find out that my father didn't die and he just died in 2019, the, my biological oh. father. And there's a whole story which I won't go into behind that because there was some um, stepping out, if you know what I mean, and whatnot with yeah. my birth. But yeah, I just found that out in, um, I guess it had been July of this year, June or July through the 23 wow. and me you know, the whole chromosome <laughs> thing or whatever they do. So yeah, that's amazing. Were there any, I mean, that is the biggest surprise, but were there any other surprises about that, your ancestry? Yeah, it was because I knew that my mom's side who put me up for adoption, who's Filipino, like I knew that whole side of the family, but I did the 23 and me for my dad's side. And so I have like three half siblings. So oh. it was pretty, uh, pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> and two of them, I, you know, get along with fabulously. The other one doesn't want to have anything to do with this. Fine. I wasn't right. doing that to look. I just wanted to see what existed on that side sure. of my lineage. And uh, it was a pleasant surprise. Oh, I love that. I've heard such interesting stories about that. <laughs> and I, I think I might've told this story on my podcast, in another episode, but when um, my son graduated from high school, the older one, my mother gave him that as a gift, the 23 mm. and me, or I can't remember which test it was. But um, when he sent it off, I thought, well, here it is. We're going to find out that our family narrative of being 100% Russian Ashkenazi Jew is going to be false. We're going to find <laughs> out there's actually some little bit of Irish in us or something, <laughs> something weird like that, right? Yeah. Viking. <laughs> right, and right. Because there's Viking in everybody, right? Right. Yeah, <laughs> but, there is. Um, it goes back it, to it. Yeah. So it came back and um, turns out that our our 
um, family narrative is not a national fiction. It's absolute, absolutely true mm. um, because Jake came, Jacob came back at like 48% Ashkenazi Jew. Oh, wow. And okay. He did not get that from my husband's side who right. <laughs> of German and Polish descent. So, right. um, yeah, I, I love it. I was like, wow. What's interesting is because of that Russian connection, um, We'd been talking about that for years, but Jacob had always felt a really strong connection to Russian culture and foods. Oh, wow. So, and then finding out that he really is, in fact, like half of mm. that is Russian. Interesting. Yeah, he was like pretty excited about it. It encouraged him <laughs> even more to keep studying and learning um, bits of the language. And so. Right. So nice. was there anything in your um, results that made you want to dig in a little more into a different culture or... Really. I'm so open to anything all the time mm -hmm. that there's nothing there that was like, oh my gosh, I have to do this. And it actually lined mm -hmm. up pretty, I, I understand where I got my size from, you know, because oh. I am six one. I go about 260. I'm not a little dude. I'm pretty well put together. So I know Filipinos aren't. <laughs> so I knew that there had to be something else in there. So it's kind of like the, my last name would have been Vanderhoost. So whatever that is, Dutchy or something like that. It, yeah, I was going to say so, Netherlands. Yeah, yeah, so it's like, you know, I got the the the, the European, I guess, size out of you that. You the Viking. Yeah, Viking. So, yeah. so <laughs> Viking it's, size and the Philippines. Yeah, colors. so I always wondered where that came from. And also, I have like a little bit of red, that burgundy or auburn in my hair every once in a while. So it's pretty cool yeah. to, to see that. So, you know, but yeah, it was just something I wanted to do. And I'm not mm -hmm. the type that's like, oh, my gosh, I have to know. I just did it for, you know. Curiosity. For fun, you know. Yeah. So. It's good. That's I'm very so cool. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's a great beginning to our story. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I, I know a little bit about you. I know that you served and um, mm -hmm. in the Navy, correct? Mm -hmm. um, and I know that you were adopted and that you joined the Navy. It was right out of high school, right? Correct. Yep. So and now I'm curious, mm -hmm. when you think back on that day of deciding to enlist, mm -hmm. My son just went through all that. So he's mm -hmm. going to leave and yeah, so remember that. Yeah. serve. Yeah. And so I, I know that when he first um, started talking about doing it and then actually signed the contract, mm -hmm. I know where he was in his head. And I'm curious mm -hmm. where you were in your head. Do you remember that moment? Or yeah. I, it, what it was is, you know, I uh, was a pretty good athlete in school and I was getting letters from colleges and whatnot. And I ended up thinking that like a 1.6 grade point average would cut it. And it didn't. And my dad's like, dude, you're not living at home unless you pay us mad amounts of rent and, you know, and, and whatnot. My dad is, you know, pretty hard nosed guy. And, and I thank him for it now, but just right. out of, just in a sense out of resentment, I was just like, you know what? I, I don't want to be around here. You know, I grew up right out in a suburb of Detroit and I just was like, man, there's more out there. And with me being, you know, kind of a Pisces, a water sign, I was always intrigued by water and getting near it. And I'm looking at the Atlantic ocean right now, like literally at my place here in Juneau, Florida, Juneau beach. And so I, I was drawn to it and I was just like, you know, the military could take me places and, you know, they're going to pay me to see the world. So I talked to the Navy recruiter and from there I ended up, um, you know, signing up because I was 18. It was getting towards the end of my senior year of high school and didn't tell anybody. And I just kind of woke my dad up and said, hey, man, I need you to take me to the recruiter. He's like, what for? And I'm like, well, I'm leaving today for boot camp. And that was it, man. That's how it went down. So and you didn't actually finish your senior year? I did. I did. Oh. I mean, it was after my senior year. Like I, okay. I graduated June 10th. I did graduate. Talked to my fourth period teacher, Mr. Seaman, in fall names, um, <laughs> to sign off on my graduation to pass me. And he's like, why should I pass you? I'm like, I'm going, you know, to, to the military. He's like, oh, done. So he signed it. And, you know, I showed him my enlistment papers and he signed it. And, awesome. and I graduated June 10th of 1990. And I entered boot camp June 25th. I literally left June 11th to go on a trip, came back the 23rd. And my dad's like, good. Hope you're ready to get a job and pay rent. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And then on the 24th, I woke him up. So I got to go to boot camp. What did he That's say? I went down. He's like, what? You know, and I went and he drove me to the MEP center, which is military enlistment yeah. processing center. And, um, 
just went and then I told him, Hey, meet me at Metro airport. You can see me. This is pre nine 11. So you can meet us at the gate. So he actually met me at the gate and you know, gave him a hug. And that was it, man. I, and it's funny. We laugh now because me and my dad are best friends, but we can't stay the night under the same roof more than like three, <laughs> three nights together. Right. So, yeah, and then I that's getting along. So like literally since 1990, which is 31 years now, we have not stayed under the same roof more than three nights. And it's, it's funny, you know, we like little joke or whatever. When I go visit him in mm-hmm. Alabama, I'll get a hotel just because of course, you know, yeah. we're probably so much alike. And, um, yeah. you know, he adopted me, you know, he's a redneck from Alabama. And I say that affectionately, um, you know, it's where you know, he's white and I got some skin tone and down there, the civil wars at halftime. So he always had to take up for me because he lives back in Alabama. Oh, right. You go mm-hmm. visit. So you know, it was like, my dad loves me. I know he does. And he's awesome. But like he, the, the pride I saw in his eyes when I walked down the tarmac and looked back and he's waving at me with oh. that, you know, WTF look like what is going on. And then, you know, I went and was a West coast sailor, man. I was stationed in Coronado over at seal beach in, um, you know, San Diego area mm-hmm. and, um, made friends to the end, you know, and it's yeah. just an amazing story. Got to meet people. Um, you know, go through some hard times, went to Iraq, Afghanistan, Somalia, um, did all the deeds there from 1990 to 97 and, um, just, just had a ton of fun. So you stayed for an extra couple of years after your, well, what it was, was with my job, which I won't get into it, but mm-hmm. with my job, they asked me more kind of on a consultant basis, but with pay. So oh. it was weird. Cause I was like half civilian and then also mm-hmm. would go under the military when they needed some stuff. So I'd went and and just contracted out with them in a sense. So yeah, it was mm-hmm. like three extra years. Um, and they kept me pretty busy because there's a lot of stuff going on through 1997. Of course. Oh yeah. I, I remember I moved to Washington DC and that's uh, right. Yeah. In, uh, uh, 94 and mm-hmm. moved away in 99. And I remember being so much more aware of things from Colorado, <laughs> yeah. you know, from Colorado. So none of right. that stuff was even on my radar and then moved to DC. And of course, all of a sudden I know all these things going on in the world. So I, I want to go back because I got the chill and I want to go back to that moment um, because it, you, you know, my whole process of getting people to share stories that mm-hmm. are meaningful sure. is that I'll share a story that's meaningful and it will trigger memories for the people around me. And that's the whole point, you know, being really intentional. Mm -hmm. So when you told the story of looking back down the tarmac and seeing your dad waving Mm -hmm. and that pride, Mm -hmm. I remembered leaving for Australia as a study abroad student. My dad drove me to the airport and um, I I remember maybe three times in my entire life seeing my dad cry. Mm -hmm. And I remember walking onto the the plank <laughs> felt like a plank at the time mm-hmm. <laughs> but the jetway toward the airplane and i didn't know anyone going i i had they were colorado state students but i wasn't friends with any of them mm-hmm. and i remember i was 19 years old and i'm walking down the jetway thinking don't look back don't look back don't look back <laughs> i'm telling myself not to look back cuz i knew i would be upset seeing my dad i turn around i see him cry and of course i ball all the way down the jet. And I've said this in my book, I'm not generally a crier. Like it's just, I'm not a particularly sentimental person, but there are a handful of times, maybe that's why it's so memorable when I do cry is because it just doesn't happen that often. But in that so, connection we have with our parents, with your dad, I mean, I think you told yeah. the story, well, these are on my podcast or in your book, everything runs together a little bit about mm-hmm. going to concerts with them, you know, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, that's an amazing uh, connection you have. Me and my dad, you know, we, we do what's called casting and blasting, where we take a shotgun uh-huh. and fishing rods out in the Tennessee River, because he lives mm-hmm. kind of at the border of Alabama, Tennessee, Georgia. And we go catch fish and kill ducks and we dress them up and eat them. We find stuff that we resonate together with, you know, that's, what's awesome about keeping the relationship with parents. Yeah. Yeah. They, they do a lot of blast and cast here in Montana as well. It's a perfect time of year right now. Right. Right. Um, Upland birds are also in season right now. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I want to go back to that image of the tarmac and Mm -hmm. you remember you said WTF, was that from your perspective, looking back and seeing him waving and going, wow, I'd never expected to see that expression or. I think it was a mutual, him? you know, because my dad's six, 
six and a monster <laughs> of a man, you know, and, <laughs> and he like, like, I remember when we were little, when I was little, you know, my dad's an alcoholic, came back from Vietnam really bad. And he would take me to the bar with him. I'd sit in the bar stool. It was, he was, I was the biggest chick magnet for him ever, you know, you know, at the time. Yeah. And I was just a young kid and I just, um, you know, he took a phone book and he could rip a phone book in half, like literally with the, with the pages, the, the sticky, if if you're old enough to know what a phone book is, they're about five inches thick and they had like waxy Mm -hmm. paper on the outside, he could rip in half. So, you know, just seeing him and I know you're not watching on video people, but he's just smiling and looking at me down the tarmac waving. I just turned around and I'm scared poopless, you know, because dude, I don't know what's going on. I'm going into boot camp, dude. And, you know, just saying, all right, man, that's cool. And, you know, I remember the story he told me before I got on the plane, he's like, okay, man, you remember my GTO that I had? Cause I don't remember ever flying. Obviously I flew from the Philippines here and never really flew when growing up. Cause my dad's not a big flyer. So I just used to tell me a story. Okay. It's going to feel like taking off in that GTO, but you know, stuff like that. So we had like fun conversation. He had me a tin of uh Kodiak tobacco. <laughs> I, I dipped at the time and you know, handed that to me and said, here you go. And I'm like, man, this is contraband. I remember leaving that on the airplane because I was like, I ain't going to boot camp with this, you know? So, right. but it was a, um, you know, like an amazing experience. And like you said, yeah, it's a, it's pretty cool that he, you know, we, we joke about that time that morning yeah. all the time, you know, yeah. uh, how it went down and, and, uh, you know, the pride and, and the relief knowing he didn't have to carry a kid any longer, you know, just cause I was, I mean, I got Are three hot. No, six? I'm the oldest, you I'm know, oldest and, you know, so it's like, um, you know, I got three hots and a cot, you know, three meals a day and place to sleep and got mm-hmm. paid. You know, so yeah. it was like my dad's like awesome, you know. So that's an extra <laughs> right. something a month that you know me and mom can can kind of do. So yeah, absolutely. Wow, wow. Um, so do you remember your recruiter? Were you kind of close with that person at all? I was um I could I, I remember exactly what he looked like, but yeah. I couldn't tell you his name, but yeah, we were he was cool. Um I, my grades were terrible, but I tested off the charts, you know, the ASVAB and yeah. like, well, you can do whatever you want. And, you know, I picked a certain um, rate and, right. and then that all changed down the road, but you know, he was, he was never pushy. Um, he's just, he was a really cool dude. I remember coming back from boot camp and going to lunch with him and, you know, stuff like that for, you know, I went off to, to school, um, that the Navy, the A school that the Navy set me up right. with. and. Um, you know, just, yeah, I remember, you know, we look like, but, you know, couldn't yeah. tell you his name. Good I guy had to there. ask. Yeah. I had to ask because I, I'm thinking about my son's experience with his recruiters and mm-hmm. um, one of them in particular. And I said, cause he, he talked him into a, a job that was different from what he had originally picked based oh, on really? his scores as well. His ASVAB score was really <sighs> high as well. And um, I said, are you sure? I mean, do you, do they get any benefit by you going into this other program? He said, yeah. no. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they do. They, uh-huh. they have to fill billets. Right. And right. that's their job. And that's and a that's big a, billet yeah. to fill. So yeah. he said, well, I don't think so. But um, I said, okay, let me ask you this. You're a really good judge of character. He is now mm-hmm. because of the, some trauma he went through in mm-hmm. a few years ago. So he's a really good judge of character. And I said, you're a good judge of character do you think that this man has your best interest in mind? Is he mostly concerned for you and doing what you want to do and doing it well, and that you're going to be satisfied with this? And he said, yes, Mm -hmm. I believe he he's a good human and he has my best interest in mind. Hmm. Gotcha. Okay. So that's why I asked about your recruiter, because I know this is going to be somebody again, he may not remember the recruiter's name in 30 years, but he, will definitely remember how he felt about him and right. have an image of this person in his uniform and his head, I'm sure. Right. That's why I ask. And we were gearing up for war at that time yeah. too, you know? Yeah. So, you know, it was, you know, 1989 into 1990 and, you know, where we were, was it, um, there was desert storm, but then there was desert watch when right. I entered and then it became the storm. You know, I was one of the first 3000 troops you know, wow. there because of what I did, I was deployed to a different, you know, branch of the military in a sense right. and did my thing. And um, 
so yeah, they were filling stuff for all kinds of stuff. And, you know, I was just like, well, give me that. I didn't care, Sarah. Right. I was just like, you were just ready. I wanted to go and just, you know, I didn't want to like be a cleaner or a cook. I'm like, but just give me this. And I, and I, I went in for aerial photography. Now they have drones that take all the pictures, Right. but I went in for aerial photography. And again, that whole job changed after I tested out in, in boot camp, you know, above mm-hmm. the charts for physical and mental and agility and stuff like that. So that all changed right. on the road. Huh. Interesting. Hmm? So um, when you think about the, those moments of coming out of the military, Mm-hmm. I have a friend who served for, oh, I think four mm-hmm. years. She okay. said it took her basically 10 years to recover, to feel like she was um, kind of in, in the real world again, mm-hmm. partly because of the community that you create in the military sure. with your people. Mm-hmm. So when you got out, what it, is there a memory? Do you have a vivid memory of seeing your dad, of, of your first job out of the military? Do you remember Anything about that? I went to work um, when I was in the military. Um, I was got certified as a personal trainer, and I was training people and getting them ready to go into SEALs. You know, getting them ready for the physical aspect of that. And I was married at the time to my high school sweetheart, and her mom's like, well, "I really want you guys to come home to Michigan." I'm like, "All right." So I immediately opened, you know, Time to Shine. Believe it or not, Time to Shine personal fitness, you know, and this oh, wow. is, I was 24 years old, opened that up and the company's still going today. You know, I sold it off to a kid that worked for me from Michigan state and he's, he's grown it into 12 locations. I get a nice check every December and, um, he is, you know, it, it's amazing. So I would, I got bit by an entrepreneurial bug because I was like watching all of these people that were in the Navy side hustling. And going and like delivering pizzas and just doing stuff on the side while we were in port and not, you know, had to be somewhere. So, you know, I started working with a guy that owned a car detailing company called Time to Shine. And oh. <laughs> um, so I started Sorry. working with him cleaning cars. And I was like, man, this guy's making bank. And so, like, I always worked out and I wanted to help people improve their lives. And so, started a Time to Shine personal fitness. And then, you know, when I got back to the States, you know, I, I built that up through 2000, year 2001, 2002. And like I said, it's still going today. But like, yeah, the memories that I got out, I didn't, I am programmed to the way, because of my story when I was younger, I was programmed not to ever bring the past forward or like say, okay, that that's done. You know, I'm a big believer right. you don't you know, have a foot in the present, foot in the past, or, or foot in the future, foot in the past and piss on the present. I make every day good. And I've learned that at such a young age, because when you go through some of the stuff I went through from, from before I went in the military, you know, my story is very unique before I went in the military until I got, you know, um, you know, out of the military, I just don't ever look back. I use it as a tool to learn the past, right. but you know, I, you know, you sit in a car, the rear view mirror is small for a reason, right? You know what I'm saying? It's there. Right. You see there, but that windshield's big, man. And I, and I live for now because mm-hmm. I know if I do now and I overlap my happiness now, you know, I tell my clients this all the time, you overlap your happiness, you know, and, and because everything's finite, the good things are finite, the bad things are finite. Right. right. So right. if you overlap lap your happiness, then you can keep happiness coming in, in the present, which makes for an awesome yesterday. Period, dude. You know, so if you and your hubby are coming down here to South Florida, I'm going to show you a good time. You'd be like, oh, we're going to see Fergie. But guess what? You're going to hop that plane back to Montana. And that time of fun ends. It's finite. But you just overlap. Oh, we're going back to Montana. We get to see our chocolate lab. We get to go. Your husband's right. like, I get to go hunting. I get to go for <laughs> long walks. You know, right. whatever. You know, it's that's that's how I am. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, the stories that... I tell, and that's why your book is so awesome because people need to hear it, you know, is that the stories you tell yourself, you're not defined by them. Like you you say, you know what I'm saying? So like, I don't like your friend, I don't know her and nothing against her, but she might live there in the past, trying to redo stuff in the going forward. Dude, like what I'm doing right now, it's got to make for an awesome tomorrow because what I'm doing now is going to reflect back on my tomorrow. And I ain't got time for that crap. 
Oh my gosh. I think about that all the time. I mean, Mm -hmm. when I have conversations with people who are talking about the regrets and Mm. I wish I had done this and um, I really want to do this. And I remember having a conversation with the woman when back when I worked for the city and one of my colleagues was just really unhappy in her job. And Mm. she said, well, what I really want to do is the sewing business. And she had this idea about a particular pattern. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've never seen anything like that. Show me. So she showed me one of her samples that she had sewn. And I was like, why, why are you not just spending some time making these and selling them on Etsy just to start? And she's like, well, I just don't have time. And, and I said, okay, friend, <laughs> if I come back to you in a year and you are still telling the same story, mm-hmm. then there's something broken. Yes. Absolutely. So what are your what are your three action items? What are you going to do tomorrow and the next day? Right. So that in a year we're not having the exact same conversation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So when you you mentioned and you don't have to talk about this of course, but you mentioned that because of the way you grew up, mm-hmm. you realized that you have to just keep being in the present and finding the happiness where it is. What mm-hmm. was something that happened that kind of taught you that lesson that you look back, you, you might not have known it at that moment, of course, mm-hmm. but you figured it out as you look back and think, I don't want to go through that again. I don't want to be that person. Yeah. The particular situation. Well, I was born in the Philippines and again, I was born mixed breed. And at that mm-hmm. time, mixed breed males, this is during the Vietnam era, right? right. So mixed breed right. males in the Philippines were very much frowned upon because again, I told you how big I am. You get tens of thousands of kids bastard children that are born where the service member just knocks a woman up and leaves. They were literally taking the males away from the mother and shipping them to Spain because Spain controls the Philippine islands. Right. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. basically, luckily I had a a couple in the air force that was looking to adopt. So they started the process. So they take me literally from my mom, Conchita Connie and, and get me a temporary passport take me to the United States because the woman who was going to adopt me, his father got sick and they wanted to just take me there. You know, well, the father, her father dies. She goes schizophrenic. They can't raise me. So they dumped me at an orphanage. Right. So I'm at, you know, I lived in an orphanage for a few years until finally you know, in California. Okay. Finally, my mother and father, who I call my mom and dad, um, who adopted me, you know, were like, Hey, we'll, we'll adopt an older child. They get it. It wasn't that much older. I was like three. Right. And so they adopted me and then it was a whole debacle there because they flew me from California to Cincinnati and they went to turn me over. And my dad got arrested thinking they were child smuggling. Right. And they're like this, you don't want to adopt this child. This child's dark. You're white, you know, and all all kinds of stuff. So there was a whole holding period for me. Finally, they finished the adoption or they, they get it to where they can take me home, which was that night. And drove me from Cincinnati back up to Michigan. And, you know, they started the process. And they went through like eight years to make, be, make me become an American citizen. But during that eight years, my dad went through four or five marriages. Okay. And they started, you know, I had different moms. And my dad was an alcoholic drunk, which I mentioned before. And again, my dad, I love him. He's my best friend, but he did go through this. And um, so I ended up going from household to household, just being passed around, which just put a huge chip on my shoulder. Um, so which, wants me. You know, yeah, nobody wants me abandonment issues. Um, and so then I was just like, man, I need to find a home. So I found it in sports. I was really good at it. But again, I didn't realize I had to keep a good grade point average to actually, you know, play the next level. And so, you know, that's when I went in the military, found that family. When I came out, I didn't hurt from the, the work side of things, but the relationship side of things, maybe like your friend did, it was tough, you know, at first, because I felt like, man, I'm hung out to dry, went through a divorce, you know, from my high school sweetheart. Um, And then, you know, I met basically another woman who played professional sports and she was basically me with a vagina. You know, we were the same Uh person. So we didn't get along. Right. So, you know, you had so much in common. <laughs> yeah. Right. So we didn't get along outside of an, an area in a relationship. And so, you know, I was just like, man, so I'm alone again, you know, then come to find out, you know, I, I asked my friend who's a private investigator to find, you know, my family, which I didn't know. And I didn't want to. And I found out that I have a whole Filipino side of the family in Jersey and uh, oh, come wow. to find out 
I have a twin sister named Jovi, who my mom kept. Because it was male mixed breeds that were frowned upon. She saved my life, but still kept and raised Jovi. And, you know, I've been a real estate broker since 2000. You know, I've always had a license. I deal in luxury real estate here in South Florida. And she happens to be a realtor in Jersey. So, like, the story that I got was sought after by Oprah Winfrey. It was sought after by Montel Williams, Ricky Lake, Sally Chester Raphael back in the 90s. And I just wasn't really ready to tell it. But now it's because I've used that as such rocket fuel, as my good friend C-Rock would say, rocket fuel, another platform to really level things up. You know, I can help people because I've been there. I've walked the walk. I've talked the talk. I've leveled myself up to a point. If you want to talk monetary success, yeah, I live on the ocean. You know, I drive nice stuff. I do nice things. I go where I want. I do what I want. And I eat dinner and meet with Tony Robbins and Gary Vaynerchuk and I, you know, stuff like that. But I also have so much love. I do what I love in the service of people that love what they do, what I do. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's true love. That's why I say I love your guts. It's true. Mm -hmm. You know, it's true because I do what I love and people notice that I do what I love. My team at Time to Shine Today knows that I do what I love. And Mm -hmm. I do everything for the intention, not the attention. I could give it two craps about getting attention on myself. I want to make everybody else shine, hence the name of my company. You mm-hmm. feel me? So that's where my story is, is powerful that I can share. There's proof in the pudding mm-hmm. and I can actually help others level up. And which has led me now to coaching, you know, people that are on the cover of Time Magazine 12 times. It's one of my clients, you know, or not, or not Time People Magazine. She's kind of a drama person, Um, but, you know, also major league baseball, ultimate fighting championship fighter. So So I I I get to to do stuff. Yeah. I have to ask you a question. I'm I'm hoping to get to something pretty specific Mm -hmm. in um, when you started coaching people and we're talking just regular people, you know, no, no fancy. No, I get you. I feel like I coach a lot of people. Yeah. When you think about somebody that you've coached that you've seen like a, a significant shift in them, Mm-hmm. Can you tell me that story without telling me their name? Like where, how did they come to you? What, what do you think was the difference in how you coach them and where are they now? That kind of thing. Well, I have a style in my coaching, which is not for everybody, mm-hmm. which is okay, but I've right, also interviewed 200 and self, you know, plus people, you know, right. so I'm able to refer them out if I'm not the right horse for the course for that. I do that but too. Absolutely. What I, you know, and with time to shine today, we've, we've, referred out and it's such a blessing in the platform that I was driven to set up. But with people, I ask questions, you know, I coach, I don't consult unless it's in the real estate business. I don't consult and coaching is not giving advice. Coaching is them finding their way with your help. Mm -hmm. You, you know, you give Tom Brady the play, he goes and executes it. You don't execute it. You just help them give him a little bit of a playbook. You know, me give him three or four plays to pick from. So I do everything through very powerful questions and questioning, and then we devise a plan together to help them level up, make them limitless, make them relentless, make them go forward. So to answer your question, when I take people on, one, they've got to fit my way, you know, and it's not a bragatory, it's not an ego thing. It's just, I want you to succeed. And if I'm not the right person, if you need to be back scratched and it's okay, kumbaya, I'm not your guy. I'm the guy that like, let's level up. Let's go kick some butt. Let's go make this happen. You know, we're going to do it from a place of service. We're going to make people smile. We're going to do it from a place of love. And that's what we're going to do. And that's how we're going to build your company or rebuild your vision for where you want to get to as a person. So, yeah, I mean, I, I have clients so of one all person aspects. you worked with. What's that? When, when you think about one person mm-hmm. that you've worked with, what's the image that pops into your head? The one person I've worked with. No, for one person. Like, mm-hmm. so I have a recent coaching client that mm-hmm. um, she had been looking for a job for a year and wasn't really having success. She would get to a first interview. This is like an outstandingly competent HR executive. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, how can she, this woman not be snapped up like by any employer? They're, they're idiots to let her not be right. their employee, right? Because right? she's brilliant. And um, within one appointment, one our first session, I knew where she was getting in her own way. Okay. And so she told me what her goal was, uh, the specific um, industry she wanted to work in, the, the title or general work she wanted to be doing, what she didn't want to be doing in HR mm-hmm. as an executive. Right. Um, what, and she's an amazing developer of people. She right. brings people up. She's just mm-hmm. amazing. 
And, um, and she told me the location that she wanted to live. And we went through many iterations, many jobs. And within a couple of weeks, she went from not getting the second interview to getting second, third, and fourth interviews to mm-hmm. getting offered roles that weren't quite what she wanted. So she would turn them down um, or, or right before getting the offer, she'd think about it and then let them know not to move forward with her and to look the other candidates again. Anyway, by the time we finished together, she had not only gotten her dream job, it was in her dream location. Mm -hmm. And what she took from our experience together was her ability to share a story that demonstrated her talents. Absolutely. When when she wanted to um, talk about being a team player, she didn't say, I'm a team player. She told a three or four minute story that demonstrated exactly that quality. Love it. Love that. And process. it was amazing. Absolutely. And I remember getting this incredible thank you note from her. And again, <laughs> look at you. Love that. That's <laughs> yeah, an awesome so pat on the back. Absolutely. It is. And um, one of the big things we talked about was listening, actively listening to a recruiter, to a, a, an interviewer, because it's not just a matter of talking when you're in an interview. Mm-hmm. So, um, it was just such an amazing experience. So when I think of a recent coaching client, I think of her, she pops into my head um, and we had tough conversations like you. I'm not the person that's just going to scratch you behind the ears and make mm-hmm. your tail wag. Mm-hmm. It's just not, we've talked a lot about fur babies. So I always have to throw in a reference like that. Absolutely. But, um, so I'm curious about a client that pops into your head like that, that mm-hmm. really um, was kind of the, a perfect example of why you love what you do. Why, you know, a lot why of, it matters. Some of the clients that I get, they're they're chasing that perfection fruit, you know. Mm, and yeah. you and I both know yeah. that perfection is unattainable, but you know, greatness definitely is. And I and I don't stop them. I had a client that um we'll take yeah, Jared. His name's Jared. And basically, Jared was a competitor in a sport that just wasn't seeing, you know, results of what he wanted to see and what he's capable of. And, but he was also raised by people that were, you're the best. You're awesome. You're this, his father happened to be a CPA. So his money's right. Right. His money's good. You know, cause a lot of those, you know, people with a wicked jump shot, you know, they, they lose their money because, you know, the, when you make money, you know, the theory of relativity happens, you know, because when you make money, everyone's your relative and they come and, you know, try to siphon that money <laughs> yeah. off of you. Right. So yeah. he he did that part. Right. But he was like, as he's aging and he's a little, really mm. just, he's not able to do what he used to be able to do, right. he need, but he's also way. good enough to hang. You know, we, we started making, you know, saying, you know, choice with him is an illusion. And with, what I mean by that is that, you know, what choices you have to make, bro, you know, you know, so I started laying out to him very powerful questions and myself actively listening, not just with my ears, but with my eyes and looking for all different until I could actually see in his responses, he knew what choice he had to make. And he was doing things that was stopping him from you know, he's binge watching when he should be sleeping and repairing his 34 year old body, you know, and stuff like that. So, you know, like you said, active listening, and that's huge, but also very powerful questions. Like with my podcast, that's where I get a lot of it. My questions are very unique and they're pulled. I'm stealing from a lot of different interviewers, but I put the Fergie energy on it and it's able to kind of pull them out because not only is my interview with my podcast, interviewee, like a, for my listeners, but right. it's also an interview to coach people, mm-hmm. you know? So that's why I ask the questions that I do, you know, you get in that DeLorean with Marty McFly, you know, you know, yeah. you know, well, how do you want your dash remembered? So I want people to resonate with human beings as well. And I found out that as human beings, the, the driven ones that chase perfection, you know, they, and if that's all they're chasing, they're not going to get it. Right. But if they chase right. it with knowing that greatness is there, that's awesome. That's not a bad stop. Right. Does it get yeah. that? Yeah, I totally get that. And just living in the present, yeah. not, not just being so focused on 
the greatness yeah. of the future, but recognizing <laughs> the greatness of the moment. Right. I, I think about that a lot because I have this hike and behind my house is um, about a thousand foot climb to the summit. And I don't mm. always go to the summit, but mm-hmm. many times a month I'll, I'll just hike up to the summit. And there's this one spot that is partway up and it's on the back side of the mountain, the west side of the mountain, and it doesn't face any civilization. Like right. you can look for miles and miles and miles and not see another human and not mm, see any buildings. That's beautiful. Yeah. And it's literally 20 minutes out my door and I'm up <laughs> in that part of the mountain. That's beautiful. And um, I noticed that for a while when I was so focused on getting to the summit, cause I was trying to get fit. I wanted to make sure that this is right before I turned 50. I was like, I just want to make sure that when I'm 50, I can do this as much as I want. So right. I was doing this regularly, but I'd go, I'd, just dash right past that view and go to the summit. And right. I'd be proud of myself. You know, I got to the summit in record time or, you know, within the time frame that I set for myself. So I was, I was feeling good about myself, but then I would realize that I was so focused on the summit that I missed my favorite view. <laughs> like what the summit yes. is beautiful. It's always yeah. beautiful when you're at the top, but Getting part way and recognizing those moments, I think, is just, and I, I think that's what you're saying is that if you're constantly striving per, for perfection, you're not seeing the greatness along the way. The journey is where everything is. Exactly. Everything is there. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of people want that, the that that summit, like you said, right? right. But they don't want to put the work in to do it. And that's where as a coach. You know, I, I break things down inch by inch. It's a cinch by the yard. It's hard. Mm. If you just tried to scream up that mountain, you know, it, you might make it, but it'd be a lot harder than if you're just to kind of plot along and enjoy that process, the people you're going to meet along the way, the, and then the summit experiences. More yeah, okay. absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And you can get to the summit, but if you haven't enjoyed the journey along the way, then you it's, have to, it's not as meaningful, right? right. You, Oh, I got to the summit. Then your right. next thing is like, well, what's the next summit? And what's right. the next one after that? You're so focused <laughs> on the summit that you forget the journey. And, it is. Yeah. Oh, I love and, that. And there's just different things that they need to do along the way, including breathing. You know, like I I, I, I start all of my coaching sessions off with box breathing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, breathing's free medicine. You know, it, it just is. And if you can really lock that in, I can change a lot of the aspects of which way the the coaching um, uh, client is going to take that session and also to help build, like you would say, the build the stories that they're going to tell moving forward. And breathing is, you know, the the absolute way to decrease stress and and lead to optimum health. And that's what we all have to take care of is our temple, right? So enjoy that journey (laughs) while breathing. Right. You're not going to make any summits if you haven't taken care of your body. (laughs) You can't. There might be base camps, but the higher you get, you got to breathe and do it the right way. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So we've touched on all kinds of cool topics here, (laughs) Um, but I'm especially uh, happy to have heard the story of when you left for the Navy and that expression on your father's face. Yeah, that was really cool. It still brings a chill just thinking (laughs) about how you put that. So when I re-listen to this episode, I'm going to listen to that and listen for that. So Scott, as we wrap up, Mm. when you um, think of a particular client that you said something to that now you look back, you're like, that was profound. I'm so glad I said that to that particular client. Can you think of something like that? You know what? I, there, there was one, I asked this question of all my clients. Well, there was one who she's like, I'm just a housewife. I'm like, no, you're a domestic engineer. You run a household. You feel me? So you get that. And once I got her past that, you know, she was like, a lot of people do this, but they, they had the, the, but this one just hit a switch with her was, you know, they, they blame a lot and they pass mm. it on instead of owning everything, you know? And, yeah. you know, just, I asked her the, like her definition of responsibility. I'm like, what do you feel responsibility means? Let me ask you that too, Sarah. What's your definition of responsibility? Well, when you do what you say you're going to do. Love it. I love it. And I was taught by my mentor that responsibility is rooted in the word. It's the ability to respond, not react. 
And when I said that, and I just said, listen, hon, not hon, I called her by her name. You okay. know, I'm glad I said, you weren't yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't want to do that. Um, no, 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 no. And I just said, what's your definition of responsibility? And she went on and on and on. But every time she went on, she added how somebody else affected that, you know? And I said, you know, it's, but then it's I just, couldn't do. Right. Because, There's oh. a lot of butts that followed, you know, <laughs> and she's writing a great story because I'll tell you what, any story that you write, which you wrote a book and, and whatnot, but you, when you write a book, it's never end that, right? right. You write a book, it's but or therefore, right? You're, <laughs> you write a story, but. And it keeps the, the book flowing, right? Where it's just, she had a ton of and that's. And it's just like, dude, your story's old. You know, well, what's your definition of responsibility? And she just has said, you know, she didn't know what to say. She kept on blaming. I'm just saying this ability to respond. She took that, she wrote it down. And she came back and said, Scott, every time something happens now, I figure out a way to respond to it. That's it. And I was just like, and it's built into the word. And Rod Harrison, Navy SEAL, owns um, a, a company that I, is near and dear to my heart that I turned to him quite a bit. You know, he, he told me that because I was a blamer. I was a person that didn't take responsibility and, um, and I was able to do that. So yeah, that's just one woman. And, and now I'm happy that. to say she's a rock star on the stage, getting, um, getting awards at her network marketing company. You know, um, wow. they pay for a car, you know, and stuff like that. And it's just, it's, it's pretty cool to see, you know, and, and she gives she me a lot it. of clout. She gives me people, she sends me people to coach all the time, <laughs> you know, and I'm just like, I love you, but I just, you know, I, I like, you should be coaching them. You know, right. if they're in your downline, you, know. you coach them and I can help yeah. you with that, you know? So, yeah. but yeah, she's, she's amazing. So that's one story that it's just, it's amazing. And, you know, her husband, um, you know, gave me an awesome gift um, in the mail because I gave them a certain part of their life back, you know, um, intimacy wise. And it was just really cool, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's the rewards on it and the be ability to be able to mentor people, you know, from mm -hmm. my stories that I've had yeah. and, and I've told in my life and that I've actually went through. I mean, I just believe that the more you mentor, the more immortal you become. Right. So it's like, you know, you want to carry out your name, mentor as many people as you can. Every, everybody's like, oh, it's not me. Yeah, it is, dude. Yeah, it is. I mean, I want a library yeah. named after me. You know, I want some stuff, you know, and I do a lot for the community, especially veterans and stuff with, with mentoring them as they make that transition right. from that into civilian life and stuff. So, you know, it's like a mentor and, and help and love as much. <laughs> yeah, it's a legacy. I, mm -hmm. I think in terms of, if I were gone tomorrow, what would be said about me? And right. for the last few years, the last five years, I've gone to a lot of funerals, unfortunately, mm. a lot of funerals. Um, we right. lost my father-in-law, then we lost two dear friends, and we lost my dad and um, a, a dear musician friend that we love. It was like all in a row. And then mm -hmm. I went to one more funeral um, in late 2019, my friend's mother and the words that people were using to describe her mm. were absolutely magical. Right. And all I could think of was, I, that's what I want. Right. I mean, I want to know that I'm doing that now while I'm alive. You know, send me flowers while I'm living right. is that song. Yeah. Isn't that great? Um, like that, that, that's a, exactly yeah. true. Yeah, but at the same time, you're planting seeds. Exactly. To trees that you know you'll never sit in their shade. Exactly. You know what exactly. I'm saying? So it's like yeah. you, your children, your children's friends, exactly. Your children, right. your 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 friends and the children of your friends. I mean, right. you're always <laughs> modeling. You're yeah. always modeling. And um, I love what you model, Scott. This thank you. Personal I love you too. <laughs> personal responsibility, the self-reflection, knowing where you're getting in your own way. Um, self-reflection is the key, I think, to, to really being a powerful coach and to being coachable mm, and, absolutely. and healthy self-reflection, not the internal critical dialogue, but the healthy right. self-reflection. And that's what you do. And I'm so grateful for the impact you're having for you. on the world around you. When our listeners hear this, they're going to mm -hmm. want to get in touch with you. They're going to want to learn more about what you do. What are the best ways to do it? And just so that the listeners know, 
you don't have to stop what you're doing and jotting down. All of this information will be on elkinsconsulting.com in the Yay! show notes. For this show episode. notes. Yeah. So go ahead and share. You know what? You can go to time to shine today.com. Um, that's where the wits, where you can find us at, you know, our podcast is, uh, fantastic. We're coming up on a million listens, uh, really quick here with 242 episodes. Um, fantastic. You can find us on XM radio. Um, our show is Thursday nights at eight o'clock PM Eastern time, which is an inspiration channel. I forget what channel it is. Um, but I'll give that to you for the show notes. Um, you can find us on there for me talking in, in portions of interviews that I've did with my, uh, my interviewees and also um, our direct line, Time to Shine Today, if you're looking to level up, is area code 561-440-3830. And they, you will get um, through to somebody. You'll have a recording of me that I change my date um, every single day of what day it is. So you know that we're live, you know we're on point. And you know if you're facing anything um, that has to do with wanting to take your life, my little brother killed himself. So please reach out because we can put you in touch with the right counselor. Um, that can help you with that. So again, it's 561-440-38. I'll definitely put that down in the show Thank notes. Thank you. And to all our veterans, yes. including you, Scott, and you. soon to be our son, um, thank you. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your sacrifices. And thank you for being models for each other and for the rest of our communities. And I appreciate you. And I want everyone to remember, don't take life too seriously because you'll never make it out alive. Have fun live, love, and laugh every single chance you get. And I love your guts, Sarah. I love your guts too, Scott. Are you ready to start your story portfolio so you have the right story ready to share when the opportunity presents itself? When you're ready to get started, my book, Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will, is available in all the regular places. And the audiobook version is available on Google Play and on my website, elkinsconsulting.com. As a special bonus for listeners, the audiobook includes two songs recorded by my band, Spare Change, in my living room in Montana. Also on my website is a free podcast interview checklist. It's available to download to make sure you make the most out of your next podcast interview. If you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to rate the podcast and leave a review and let me know that you've done it so I can thank you properly. Thank you.